Open your Bibles with me, if you will, please, to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. We're going to actually be going through the book of 1 Timothy, all six chapters, verse by verse. We're going to be looking at some scriptures that will come alive to us as we see God's heart for us in regards to the title of our series, which is entitled, Called by God. Called by God. We'll see as we go through each chapter some of the specifics that the writer brings out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as it relates to our calling, the purpose that God has given us, why we're here, the, the culture, the backdrop, the conversation, the conduct of our calling, how we carry out the call of God on our lives. We'll see all of that. It's going to be wonderful as you hear Pastor Lance and myself and, and Pastor Brian and others who will just go through the scripture with you and together the Holy Spirit will just unfold some things to us to encourage us and yes, even to release us forward in the purposes of God in our lives. For it is without question, God has called all of his people, all of his children, his sons and daughters, He's called all of us to the work of ministry, every one of us. I will repeat that, given the fact that you just gave me the emoji look of the wide eyes, so I will say it one more time to you. Every one of us have been called to ministry. When I was growing up as a child, like some of you, I can remember Growing up in ministry and growing up in church and growing up around the church, typically it was the people, the men in general, who sat on the stage in these special seats just in front of the choir, and they were called the ministers. These are the ministers. We had the choir, then we had these sometimes very ornate seats that were on the stage. I remember the, the seats almost had these high backs and real, you know, ornate, and that's where the ministers sat. And then on the front row, we had the deacons, and behind them, the congregation, and they were referred to as the laity. And I grew up with the belief, the misbelief, that uh, those who were sitting here, these men sitting here on the stage, these are the ministers. It wasn't until literally decades later that the scriptures began to unfold to us. And I began to hear the word of God and see the word of God and people began to share with me, even this text that we're going to read today, that every one of us are called to ministry. There's no uh, little eyes and big U's or big eyes and little U's. All of us are called to do what God has purposed within the earth. For you see, Jesus Christ is revered as our king, our king, and we are a part of what is referenced as the kingdom of God. You're not merely a citizen of this country, but beloved, you are citizens of the kingdom, citizens of God, the kingdom of God. Jesus presented the fact that his kingdom was not of this world. The kingdom that he presented 
was a kingdom that was led and governed by the laws and the word of God himself. And you and I, by virtue of the new birth, by being born again, by receiving Jesus into our lives, we have now been made citizens of the kingdom. Every one of us. Years ago, some 30 years ago, I'll never forget preaching a series on the kingdom of God. And as it were, whenever I would teach and stand before the congregation, I was so enthralled by the fact that I was a part of the kingdom of God and the people I was standing before were such a part. I was enthralled by the fact that all of us had been welcomed into God's kingdom. I remember making the reference, everyone, under the sound of my voice, you are royalty. Stop thinking less of yourself. Know who God has created you to be. So I would greet the people when I would stand up through the whole series and I'd give them this pageant wave. Anybody know about the pageant wave? <laughs> and I'd give them the pageant wave and I said, good morning, your excellencies. And they would respond back, good morning, your excellencies. Come on, give a pageant wave to somebody. No, don't, don't give it to me. Look around you and give somebody a pageant wave and say, good morning, your excellency. Yeah, go ahead and tell them, good morning, your excellency. You're, you're, you're part of the kingdom. You're part of God's kingdom. You're not merely existing. You're not just here. You're not just a little Christian trying to make your way to heaven. You're sons and daughters of the king, every one of us. What's powerful about that is that we have been commissioned, called, purposed, and we are being trained up to lead and advance for the rule and the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rule and reign of Jesus Christ upon this earth. As it is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. As it is there, let it be done here. That's the heart of every believer here. What's powerful about that, we are all unique. Every one of us are unique. I was even voted in high school at Foothill High School in Foothill Farms in 1980. I can show you the yearbook. I went to the same high school that Pastor Mark went to, Pastor Mark Hinkle, and I was voted most unique. <laughs> Why y'all laughing? Come on, somebody. <laughs> I was voted most unique. And I guess because I was known as preacher in high school. Everybody called me preacher because I walked around the whole high school always carrying my Bible. That was me. And I didn't think ill of it, I didn't think bad of it until I realized that the young lady who was voted as the female, the young lady who was voted most unique, they had us take a picture together and I'm standing there next to the tree and they had her sitting in the tree. So I thought to myself, maybe this unique thing ain't the best thing, you understand what I'm saying? But I was voted most unique. Every one of us, you're unique. The person sitting next to you is unique. In fact, just do this for me. Do me a favor. Lean on somebody and tell them, I am so glad that you don't look like me. Go ahead and tell them that. <laughs> and I most certainly am glad I don't look like you. <laughs> we are unique. 
But despite the fact that we are unique, watch this, we're called. We're called. You're unique, but called. We are all of varying levels of maturity, and yet we are called. We are diverse in our ethnicity, our cultural background, our, our age, our gender. We are diverse, and yet every one of us, we're called. And we're called, and watch this, and set apart to do daily ministry to God and to his people. We minister to him and we minister to one another. And I submit to you, we minister to him as we minister to one another. See, that's, that's the heart that God has called each and every one of us. So that is the backdrop that is presented to us as we go through this series. And might I add one more thing that might help to shrink the wide eyes of the emoji on your face. That whatever God has called you to do, he is equipping you to do it. I will say it as boldly as I can. Whatever God has called you to do, whatever God has called you to do, he's equipping you to fulfill your calling whether it is to preach the word, to be, in a mission, to be a missionary, to be a teacher, to, to be a trainer of youth, to be a wife, to be a husband, to raise your children, to serve on your job, to be called and minister within your career, Whatever God has called you to do, he is equipping you to be able to do it. He's not leaving you hanging on a limb by yourself. That's good news to someone in this room. That's helping somebody because there's all types of intimidation and insecurity I would be the first to talk myself out of being who God has called me to be based upon the experiences and the fears and the doubts and my own insecurities. I'd be the first to try to convince myself otherwise. But God keeps affirming over and over and over and over again I've got you. I'm holding you. You are safe and secure in me. And what I have called you to do, I've equipped you to do it. Oh, I'm so glad he's like that. Because if he wasn't like that, just standing up here looking at some of y'all's faces would cause me to run. <laughs> but he's put a boldness in my heart because he's called us. He's called us. Let's look at our text in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Watch this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. The book begins here by identifying the author, the one who is the writer of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is one of three letters 
referenced as pastoral letters. It is one of three pastoral letters that is written, it is believed sometime between 61 and 63 AD by an aged apostle or an aged man by the name of Paul, whose initial name as we know him was Saul. Later it was changed to Paul. And he is writing this, uh, many believe, towards the end of his life while imprisoned. Writing it to a recipient, whom we'll identify in just a moment, with the belief that the recipient of the letter will take the letter and will share the letter with others besides himself, specifically the church. So he writes this letter as a means of not only encouragement, but also as a means of, again, as we go through chapter after chapter over these next few weeks, to discuss how we are to live out our calling, how we're to conduct ourselves, what is the conversation, what is the methodology, what is the heartbeat of ministry, of calling, Whenever I've ministered to people over the years who have said I've been called to pulpit ministry, one of the first books that I have them read, those that I've mentored, is 1 Timothy and later 2 Timothy. Paul is identified as an apostle of Christ Jesus. Notice here, by command of God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, our hope. Then verse 2 gives us the recipient of the letter. To Timothy. My true child in the faith. Some versions say, my son. My true child in the faith. Not his biological child. Not his biological son. There are some that submit that Paul may have been married. We don't find any mention specifically in Scripture of him having a wife, but he could have been married because we know that he was a member of the Sanhedrin Council and it was required that they be married. So it's possible that he was married at one time and possible that either he was a widow or he was divorced. Something must have happened, but we don't find any mention of his wife. We don't see anything. We don't hear any mention of him having any biological children. But he references Timothy as his true son or child in faith, or in the faith. It is a type of spiritual son. Over the course of years of ministry in my life, the Lord has blessed my wife and I to have two children that we have raised in our home, but we also have a plethora, almost to the point we can't even number them, of spiritual sons and daughters that we consider to be a part of our lives. Uh, the gentleman who became the successor of the church that I planted nearly 28 years ago, his name is Joseph Cesack, Pastor Joseph Cesack. He is like a son to me. I refer to him as my son. People were amazed at the service when I passed the baton to him. 
our pastor, Pastor Lance, was watching it and observing. He says, I had never seen something so moving and so passionate. It wasn't just a formality. It was though when you literally prayed for him, everything within you was pouring into him. Because he's my son. When he calls me, when he texts me, he'll often say, my father. It is a moving thing. Nothing that I could ever, watch me, nothing that I could ever impose upon anybody. Nothing that can ever be forced upon. It's just, you ever have one of those things that just happens and you just know that you know that you know. There's a connection. There's a reason. There's a purpose. Just, just like earlier, just before this service started, I was standing in the foyer and I was greeting people and I was getting ready to come back through this auditorium and cut through the door and go back to prepare for the next service. And the Holy Spirit just began to deal with me and said, just simply, don't go through the sanctuary, don't go through the worship center, but cut outside and go down the sidewalk. And there just happened to be a woman who was standing there next to the wall that said, I was praying that there would be some type of way that I would be able to meet you today. So it's nothing but the Holy Spirit, just speaking. It's nothing that can be forced. It's, the, it's just simply living before God and saying, Lord, my life is not your own. I say yes to you, such is the relationship between these two men. Paul is a father, Timothy is a son in the faith. And look at the latter part of the verse in verse two, watch this. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a salutation. It is a common salutation that we see Paul utilizing throughout his letters. It's not the first time that we will see Paul using such a salutation. But be careful, I caution you. Do not merely look over it as a salutation as those we're looking at and it just means hello or what's up. There is some revelation and some depth that is in the latter part of verse two that serves as the foundation for everything we're gonna be learning over these next few weeks. If you can grasp these three words, grace, Mercy and peace as the backdrop, as the backdrop of the series that is entitled Called by God. It will move each and every one of us to a place that as we move through page after page, verse after verse, chapter after chapter, we will find our lives being transformed to a place that we never could have imagined. It's not merely, what's up? It's not merely, hey, he's laying a foundation. There's revelation in these three words. The first word, grace. Timothy, grace. Grace, commonly defined, many people will define as, you've heard it, the definition is God's unmerited favor or God blessing us with that which we don't deserve. 
And that's wonderful. I dare not diminish that definition. It is a wonderful definition. But have you ever stayed up late, sometimes too late, like I did last night, and you see these infomercials of stuff that you know you don't need, but you're tempted to buy it? And they'll show you all of these things, and they'll show you what the product can do. And just at the point, just at the point, you're like, hmm, this is interesting. I think I might want to buy this. You remember how the voice comes on and said, but wait, there's more. There's more. Grace is one of those words. Wait, there's more. God's grace is not merely his unmerited favor. you got to back it up further. There's some more that's added on to that even before you get to that. God's grace, watch this, is God's immeasurable ability, power, authority, desire, fullness, completeness. His desire to release, watch this, to release, key word, release, to release whatever provision is needed on behalf of his sons and daughters, not predicated upon what you can give back or offer to him. I'll say it again. It's God's, watch this, immeasurable ability. We call it the ableness of God. Is God saying, I release all of my power, my desires, my provision, not because God needs anything, but it's for your benefit. He releases it to you. And it's not based upon anything that you have given or can do for him is for your benefit. That, that, it's, 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 it's the basis of where we receive our salvation. I had nothing to offer God. He had everything to offer me. That's salvation. Grace. Grace. Not based upon my merits, not based upon my righteousness, not based upon my abilities, not based upon my goodness, not based upon my status, not based upon how, money, how much money I have in my account, not based upon what kind of car I drive, not based upon any of those things. I had nothing to offer God. He offered everything to me through his grace. That's grace. That's grace. I'm, 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 I'm amazed at his grace. So amazed they wrote a song about it. Amazing grace. <laughs> Amazing grace. Amazing grace. That's grace. But notice here, in the greeting, he uses the word grace, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on to the next word, watch this, mercy, which is often synonymously used with the word grace. We kind of mix it up. Sometimes people are talking about grace. They're using the word grace, but what they're really talking about is mercy. There are other times when people are talking about mercy, but they use the word grace. There is a distinction. There is a distinction. Now watch this. You've got to follow this. You've got to follow this. Grace is God's power, his blessing, his provision, all that he wants, listen, it's, I'm going to put it the best way that I can. 
It's God saying, I want to bless you. You don't have to beg me. You don't have to plead me. You don't have to go through any changes. I desire to be a blessing in every aspect of your life. I desire for your marriage to be whole. I desire for your children to be strengthened. I desire for all of your needs to be met. I desire for you to be blessed and to be a blessing. I desire to do it, not based upon your righteousness, not based upon your goodness, not based upon your ability. Let me use this example. It's as though God says for some of us that you got blessed with the house and your credit score was 150. <laughs> and you sitting there trying to figure out how to get the house with a credit score of 150. That's grace. But mercy, now watch this, mercy if grace is releasing, releasing to you that which you do deserve, or don't deserve rather, grace is releasing to you that which you don't deserve, you don't merit it, then mercy is God holding back from you that which we do deserve. Did you catch the difference? Mercy is God saying, nope. I'm holding that back. We've all messed up. We've all blown it. We should be judged on that. There should be some serious things that ought to happen, but I'm going to hold that back. And God says, I extend that to you. Watch this. Every morning. Every morning when you wake up, you've got mercy. Here's the good news. Uh, David put it like this in Psalm 23. It's goodness and mercy following us all the days of our life. I've got goodness on one hand, grace, and mercy on one other hand that's guiding me and walking behind me every day of my life. How powerful. Grace, I didn't deserve it. Mercy, I did deserve it. And God extends both to us, grace and mercy. And because I don't know what to do with that, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to be honest with you. I am so overwhelmed by God's grace. I'm overwhelmed by God's mercy. I'm overwhelmed by God's love. I don't know what to do with it. It, it almost stresses me out. I call it a sacred tension, a sacred tension. When I was a child, my parents used to sing a song, every time I turn around, he keeps on blessing me. He keeps on blessing me. Every time I turn around, his mercies protect me and watch over me. It's like a couple of months ago when I was driving up the street and going up the street, and I heard pop, 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 and I thought it was a car backfiring until I looked ahead of me and somebody was on a street corner and they said, get down, stop, stop, get down. And somebody was shooting at an intersection that I was about to cross. That was God's mercy, not because I was so good, not because I had it all together that day. In fact, that particular day, I almost went off on somebody. <laughs> but God's mercy protected me. Because I have a sacred tension, I don't know how to deal with this grace. I don't know how to deal with this mercy. You don't either. You, how, how do I know you don't? Because you do the same thing I do. Oh, God, 
I'm so unworthy. And God says, uh, we already settled that. We got that. that. That's quite obvious. We have settled that point. I'm so unworthy, oh God. And we go through this conversation of trying to talk ourselves out of doing the work of the kingdom and doing the work of ministry and not stepping into the call and purpose of God in our lives because we have this sacred tension of grace and mercy that constantly is within our lives. And so what does Paul do in his salutation to Timothy? He says, I'm going to help you with that because I know you're going to trip. I know you're going to go through some challenges with this. I know that this is going to be a divine tension or a sacred tension. Let me also add a third word. Let me slap some peace on you. Grace, mercy, peace. Shalom. Peace. It, it, it's more than just calm down. It's settle in. Rest in this. Grace, mercy, and because you are my child, Settle in to what God desires to do in your life. That's a word for someone in this room right now. You're in that same sacred tension that I've been in and we're all in and we wake up every day dealing with. But I need you to also now shalom, peace, settle down, rest in it. God is working. He knows what he's doing. Here's your fill-in, if you will. Take your bulletin and fill this in. Jesus rescued us through his grace, mercy, and peace. He rescued us for a purpose. For a purpose. We've identified our author here whose name is Paul. He's an apostle. The verse 1 says, by the command of God. He's a missionary to the Gentiles. We know that uh, he was a persecutor of the church in Acts chapter 8. And then he experiences an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9. It's not until Acts chapter 13, after experiencing this encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, that we find him now moving forth and going full-fledged into the calling and the purpose that God has for him. He has set apart to do the work of the ministry. We get the backdrop or the historical backdrop of the Apostle Paul's ministry from Acts chapter 13 all the way to Acts chapter 28. It talks about all of the things, the different things that God did through and for the Apostle Paul. But also, we're given some information in Romans chapter 1 that will help us to embrace this understanding of calling a little bit deeper as we look particularly, particularly at Paul's life we're going to see how God called him. And if perchance we look at the calling upon Paul, we might be able to observe how God may be calling each and every one of us. Turning your Bibles very quickly to Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. I'll start there and just read seven verses and listen to what it says here. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. This is Paul, again, giving testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. 
Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Did you catch this? Paul says that we have received grace. He's speaking again, his testimony. I've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. He says, not just to all the nations, but I have been called to speak the gospel to those of you who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. That's why we're reading the words of Paul today. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you, once again, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch how Paul starts out writing this in verse 1? Did you catch what he says here? Even before he identifies himself as being called by God to be an apostle, he acknowledges that first and foremost, he is a servant. He is a servant. Can I encourage you? Some of you that are sitting under the sound of my voice that would sit here and say, I just don't know what God has called me to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know my calling. I heard you say that we are all called, but I don't know what he's called me to do. First and foremost, he has called you to serve, to be a servant of God. What's beautiful about being a servant is that what it calls for out of you is just simply saying yes to God. Just simply saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I say yes to you. I desire to serve you. And as I said to you earlier, that's what the word ministry means. It means to serve. Literally, we serve God by serving one another. Can I tell you a secret? One of the things that drew me to embracing the call of God on my life to come to this church was observing our pastor, Pastor Lance, having a servant's heart. I'm going to be very specific with you. Now, I'm at home, so I can talk like I'm at home. So I'm going to be real clear with you, okay? We're going to, we're going to have some close-the-door meeting conversation up in here in Bridgeway today, okay? We're going to talk about this. Because I was drawn by the fact that here is a pastor who pastors a church the scope and the size of Bridgeway, and when he prays with you or talks to you, it's as though you're the only person in the room. Even to the point that when he's praying with you, I've seen this so many times, it blew me away, where he would literally, I've watched him sit and kneel down and touch people and put his arms around people, and I said, that's a servant's heart. Now, why do I say that? Because I'm going to get real straightforward with you, Bridgeway family. I'm family, so I'm going to talk to family. Do not take that for granted. I have preached enough places. I am preaching enough places. When I'm not here, I'm somewhere ministering the word of God. Churches this size, smaller and larger. And I'm telling you what God has blessed you with, with your lead pastor, our senior pastor, you will not find that attitude and that heart everywhere. 
They preach, they slide out the side door, they get in their designer cars, and they take off. You and I have been blessed immeasurably with the man of God that he's blessed us with at this church. Come on, give God a praise for it. You, we, 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 we've been blessed. We've been blessed. And the thing I love about it, he's not hung up on titles. He's not hung up on titles. Now, I, I refer to him whenever I'm in public. Whenever I'm in public. I don't care if it's a public congregation, the service, or in a meeting with any of the teams here. I always refer to Pastor Lance as Pastor Lance. I always refer to him. I put a handle on it. I say Pastor Lance. I never just say Lance. When I'm private with him, in a private meeting, if I'm talking to him or we're in each other's home, I'll say Lance. If we're talking outside near the car, I'll say Lance. But whenever I'm in public, I always refer to him as pastor. Always. Now, I know some of you are looking at me and saying, that's so old school. Well, tough luck. I'm old school. <laughs> I'm old school. Sometimes some old school is good school. I said some old school is good school. See? And so... I will always refer to him as Pastor Lance, and the Holy Spirit gave this to me even as I was driving on the campus today. I had never even thought about this. I was just musing over this teaching. I was trying to figure out, God, what, what is it? Why is it that I'm so adamant about putting pastors, uh, the title pastor on his name when I'm referencing him? And the Holy Spirit spoke this to my heart. He says, because when you say Pastor Lance, you are calling and drawing upon the anointing of the office that he operates in. Did you catch that? Whenever I say Pastor Lance, I am drawing upon the office and the anointing of the office that he operates in. I, I don't need him to be my buddy and my friend. There are times I need him to be my pastor. And I need the anointing on him that comes from him being my pastor. So out of respect, I refer to him as Pastor Lance. I have a doctor. I've had a doctor for the last 15 years, the same doctor. I have yet to come in and say, what's up, Chuck? <laughs> I dare you to go on TV and go to Judge Judy's court and say, Judy, 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 Judy. I dare you to do it. <laughs> There's a respect that comes with the office that these individuals operate in. My wife just had surgery. I told you this last week. My wife just had surgery, and I was so moved by the fact that when she was getting ready to go into surgery, all the nurses, all the doctors, all the technicians were moving about her, and they were hooking her up and getting ready to put her under. And all of a sudden, somebody says, has anyone seen Dr. Such and Such, her surgeon? And they said, she's on her way. They said, don't put her under until her surgeon has come in to speak with her. I didn't know that several weeks earlier, my wife had prayed for her surgeon there in the office. So when the surgeon came in, she checked all of my wife's uh, you know, vitals and everything, and she checked everything, and then all of a sudden she stopped. And the place was buzzing, the place was busy. A busy surgical suite, and all of a sudden she looks at my wife and she says, now, are we ready to pray? And I watch this woman who is called of God to be a physician and to be a surgeon drop to her knees next to the gurney, lay one hand on my wife's 
her hands and another one on her knees, and she began to pray. And I'm telling you folks, I couldn't, I was doing my best. I couldn't reach for my phone quick enough to post it on Facebook. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> she was praying. And she didn't pray one of these weak milk toasts to the greater higher powers that may be. No. In Jesus' name, Father, touch Diana and thank you that she's being made whole. Use my hands. Use all of the nurses that are working with me and the technicians and let her be stronger than ever in the name of Jesus. And everybody in the surgical suite was quiet while she prayed. I asked my wife about it later. I said, does she ever get stopped? Does anybody ever tell her to stop doing that? She said, oh yeah. A couple of people told her she's a quack. They've told her don't do it. I, I feel uncomfortable about that. I said, well, how does she respond? How does she respond when someone tells her that? Because she's called and she knows that she's called, she just turns around and looks at him and says, wait a minute, this is my patient. This is my patient. Now when she becomes your patient or he becomes your patient, you do what you do, this is what I do. Ooh, I wish we had some more bold saints that were like that. Listen to what he says here, beloved. He says very clearly, I love the way Paul puts this. He says, I am called to you, those of you that belong to Jesus Christ. And then he catch this, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. You are called as servants of God to be saints. Paul starts out by saying, first and foremost, I'm a servant. And then God has called me to be an apostle. And then he goes forth to say, then God has set me apart. And then he says, I am called to minister to you who are called to be saints. Every one of you are saints of God. Every one of you are saints of God. The church background I grew up in, we used to greet each other by saying, Praise the Lord, saints! Praise the Lord, saints! I, I heard that from a child. Praise the Lord, saints! Some of them act like ain't, but we were still saints. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Praise the Lord, saints! That's where that comes from. There, there's no canon that you have to go through. There's no long, drawn-out uh, you know, uh, process of voting you in. The moment you ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you were called a saint of God. One who is set apart to do the work of the kingdom. See? Now watch this. I want to get back to this because this is important. I need you to follow me for just a couple of minutes on this and then we'll pray. Paul says, I was a servant first. I can relate to that. I relate to that how? I wasn't born a pastor. Contrary to what you may believe. <laughs> I didn't come out the womb with a Bible in my hand. I had to learn how to be a servant. For years, all I did was serve in the house of God. I taught Sunday school, I ushered, I was a greeter, I helped park cars, I helped uh, serve on the prayer team of the church that I was a part of. I did that for years, all through my teenage years. That's what I did, I just served. Whatever I could do just to serve. Can I tell you something? Serving is the incubator for God to reveal your calling. You may not know what you're called to do, but if you just put your hands forth just to serve God's people, God will begin to show you what he's called you to do. He'll begin to do that. That's what he did with me. It wasn't until years later that I knew I was called a pastor. I was just so busy serving, I didn't know what I was particularly called to do. 
It wasn't until 1982, while attending Oral Roberts University, that I was sitting in the middle of a prayer garden. It's a prayer garden in the middle of the campus. I was awakened out of my sleep at 3 o'clock in the morning. And the Spirit of the Lord, whom I've never heard the Holy Spirit speak in my ears, but I've heard him speak in my heart strong, that it's louder than someone speaking in my ears. And the Holy Spirit says, you will return back. I was living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, going to college there. He says, you'll return to Sacramento, California, and you'll pastor a church called the Center of Praise Ministries, and it'll be a place for all people, regardless of their ethnicity, their cultural background, their church or unchurched background, their social economic condition, and there I will be in the midst of my people. I wish I could tell you immediately. I said, yes, Lord, hallelujah, I'll follow you. No. <laughs> I was scared to death. I responded. I said, Lord, who's going to come? Just me and my mama? Because I figured your mama will go when nobody else will. <laughs> sure enough, she did. That was in 1982. But listen, 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 listen. That's when he called me. I was serving all of those years prior to that, but in 82, the calling came. But did that mean that I packed my bags up and immediately the next morning got on the plane and flew back to Sacramento to start a church? No. Why? Because God had not separated me out to do that yet. He had called me, but he had not separated me yet. The calling came first. And so... God says, I call you now, but there's still some things I need you to do, such as the next morning, go to your statistics and biology class. <laughs> Two years later, graduate. Then go to work for a hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Work there for almost two years, and once again hear the Spirit of God prompting me, quit your job and go work on your master's degree and do it now. And I'm saying, well, this is a good job. I need to hang on to this. No, quit your job and go to work on your master's degree. I'll provide for you. God, how am I going to be able to pay for it? I'll provide for you. After I applied, ended up getting a scholarship and got accepted into a program that typically takes two years, and I was able to finish it in two year, in one year because the people uh, that did the first year class of the master's program their final exam was my entrance exam. I went right into my second year. And it was paid for. And then after I got on the campus, after I got there, had only been on campus two weeks to start the new program, got a letter in the mail telling me, informing me that I had been laid off of my job. I had already quit. <laughs> Y'all ain't hear what I'm saying to you. When God calls you, he enables you with everything that you need to fulfill your calling. I went there, did that, did not want to come back to Sacramento, got there, a church there told me, if you stay here, we'll give you a position, we'll give you an office, and it was a big office, and we'll give you a car, and we'll give you an apartment, because we really want you to stay here. We'll even set it up and make it possible for you to have a wife. And they set me up on a blind date. <laughs> and when I saw her, I'd wish I was blind. Anyway, pray for me. I'll turn around. Pray, stretch your hands this way and just pray for me. Just pray for me. They tried to set me up, and she sat across the table, and she looked at me over a steak dinner, and she said, I believe God has called you to be my husband. 
the Lord has spoken to me. And I'm thinking to myself, well, he must have left something out because he didn't tell me. <laughs> it was in that moment that God said, I need you to sit put because I'm training you. I'm going to send you out to do what I've called you to do, but it's not time yet. Can I tell you something? Be patient with your calling. Be patient with your calling. Some of you, God has called you to raise your children and you're all frustrated because you're a mother, you're a stay-at-home mom and you're just frustrated or you're a working mom and you're frustrated or you're a dad and you're fussing over the fact that you can't spend as much time with your children and you're all stressed out about it. Be patient with your calling. God will enable you with everything that you need. And the long short of it, the long short of it, I, was, I came back to California, came back to Sacramento to serve. Not to lead, but to serve. And while I was serving, I was leading a worship service. I was a worship leader in the church I was a part of. And while leading worship, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, in 1989, seven years after he first called me, he says, it's time. And I went over and fell on my knees next to my pastor, who was in his 80s at the time, and I told him what the Holy Spirit had spoken to me. And he said, even while you were leading worship, God had already spoken that to me. And that was 28 years ago. And God called me and separated me out to start the Center of Praise. And once again, two years ago, next month, he would separate me out again to be here with you all here at Bridgeway. Isn't God good? <laughs> Timothy is Paul's protege, his companion, the one who will do ministry with Paul. You're going to find out more about Timothy on next week that's going to bless your heart as you see God launching this young man out. But you're going to find out he has some characteristics that are brought out to us in 2 Timothy chapter 1 where he's afraid, he's insecure, and Paul has to speak to him and says, listen, hey, son, son, God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and soundness of mind. You're going to be all right. I'm convinced that the same power of faith that operated in your mother and your grandmother is also in you. To our knowledge, his father may have been an unbeliever, it's possible that his dad was an unbeliever. We know he was Greek, but he was possibly an unbeliever. And yet, he's encouraged in the midst of his timidity that God has a plan for him. A picture paints a thousand words. I close with this. I have a dear friend. He's like a brother to me. He was adopted as a baby. His father was African American. His mother was white. He was born in the 60s early 60s. At that time, what they referred to as biracial babies were not adoptable. The, the blacks didn't want to adopt them because you weren't black enough. The whites didn't want to adopt the babies because you weren't white enough. So many of these babies grew up in our nation in orphanages if they were not raised by their own family of origin. In his particular case, his biological mother was rejected by her parents. She gave the baby up for adoption. There was a woman who was sitting in her home one particular evening and she was reading a prominent magazine about these babies that 
are not adoptable because they come from a biracial parentage. And she was reading the magazine, and it stirred her heart so. She looked around the room at her two children that she and her husband had been blessed with, and she called her husband in and said, I really believe that we need to adopt a baby, and we need to adopt a biracial child, the term that she used. They went and they found and were blessed to find this particular child, this baby. He was still an infant. And they brought him home. And then they did something that was quite moving that I, to this day, am amazed when I hear this. They sold the house that they were living in with their family and purposely, intentionally moved into a predominantly African-American neighborhood called Oak Park to raise their baby around people that looked like him. And they took him there. Later, this baby would grow up went to high school and would grow up and later at one point got into trouble with the law, but God blessed him to get through all of that. He later would become a police officer and would serve on the Sacramento Police Department. In fact, three years into his serving there, he walked upon a scene in which his adopted brother had been found murdered. He was a drug addict, a drug dealer actually, and was found murdered. And he speaks of the fact that just, just literally two weeks earlier, he told his mom, if something doesn't happen with my brother, he'll either go to jail or he'll die. He went to the scene and his brother was there and he identified his brother on the scene. Years later, he would go up the ranks of the Sacramento Police Department and later be called to Roseville to become the police chief of Roseville, California, the first African-American police chief in Roseville. Nearly a year and a half or so ago, he and I were sitting at a restaurant here in Roseville, and I said, do you ever think that God would ever call you back to be a part or be the police chief of Sacramento? And he turned around and he said, you know, he gave the real spiritual answer that all of us would respond to, if they pay me enough. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> they pay me enough. And he says, you know what? It'd be amazing if God allowed that to happen. That's what he said. This coming Friday, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, at Sac State, at the ballroom, California State University of Sacramento, I will stand before the mayor, congresswoman, and many city officials, and police officers from all around this city to help pray and speak blessings over Chief Daniel Hahn as he becomes the next police chief of Sacramento, California. Every place I look, I say, man, I've never seen this much coverage on a police chief. Every time I turn the TV on, they got your ugly, I mean, they got your face sitting up there. <laughs> Every time I look, he's got people praying for him all over. What would, what would it be? What would it look like if all of us up in here said we would show up on Friday to speak blessings over this man who is a believer and his wife and his two children 
as God strategically, as he put it to me the other day in the text, I am called to do this. The Lord has called me to do this for this time, for this season. Can I tell you something? If God could take a little boy from Oak Park who was rejected by all, if God could take the one who stands before you who stuttered until I was 17 years old, I could not look you in the face and speak my name without taking nearly 10 minutes just to say my name. If God could take me, call me, and separate me for his work, I submit to you, he can do the same with you. By his grace, his mercy, and his peace. Stand to your feet. Wrap your arms around yourself, all in this room like me. Just put your arms around yourself. Those are the arms of God holding you. Put your arms around. If you're next to your spouse you can, or your parent, you can put your arms around them. But just wrap your arms. Everybody wrap your arms around yourself. My prayer for you is as follows. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. I am happy in Jesus. I will trust and obey. Trust and obey. You see, there's no other way. We are happy in Jesus. We will trust and Obey. Now may the peace of God hmm, that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Grace, mercy, and peace be upon you. The royalty, the excellencies of the Most High God. Go forth and seize this day. Today is the best day of your life because Jesus lives big in you. Clap your hands and give God the best praise you can give him. Come on. Come on, don't paddicate. Don't paddicate. Give him praise, everybody. We're off to a good start of our new series. I'm going to ask the prayer team quickly, make your way here to the front. The prayer team is standing here. If we can agree with you, pray with you, affirm with you what God is doing in your life, you make your way up here. We want to do that right now. The prayer team is here. God bless you. Go towards peace and serve Jesus.